Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm your host, Pandarvis Harshaw. You're tuned into the final episode of Right Nowish's Liner Notes series. For a few years now, I've been following the work of a talented musician named Elena Penderhughes. We have overlapping community circles, so it's been fascinating to watch her young career blossom from afar. I've watched her go from performing at big jazz festivals to NPR's Tiny Desk to performing at Coachella with Future. Her talent has taken her around the world and her story starts right here in the East Bay's jazz and Afro-Latin music scene. This week, flutist Elena Penderhughes tells us about her family and community, as well as long-standing Bay Area institutions that played a key role in laying the foundation for her career path. And she tips the cards to share a little bit about what she's working on next. All that and more coming up after this. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Historically, a lot of the famous flute players have been men. And so a lot of the people that I, that I listened to as, as, as a young flute player were men. Then as I, as I started, you know, as a young adult and like coming into my own, I started exploring different parts of the instrument more in context with myself and realizing that like my femininity and certain sensitivities that I have that most of the musicians around me didn't have were actually my superpower. And so when I learned to like hone those things and really be me through the instrument, whole new world opened up. Especially with an instrument that's quiet, like the flute, you come into a situation that everybody's like, like really, really quiet. Cause they're like, I can't hear you, <laughs> you know? And I used to be like, nah, 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 none of that, play hard. But now I'm like, oh no, play soft, it's cool. I'll build into that. 
let's let's find that moment and then you'll you all guide you to the next place we'll guide each other to the next place and i think when i was able to see especially in these all-male bands what a what a, a a feminine moment that i brought to the table that nobody else could bring to the table i fell in love with that Your upbringing as a jazz musician, how does that play into what you're doing now? I think my upbringing has played into every part of my musical journey. I have been lucky enough to have been mentored and taught by some of the most incredible musicians in many genres. Um, I actually started uh, my journey when I was younger, playing a lot of like Afro-Cuban and, and, and Afro-Latin um, music. So like Latin jazz and different things like that. Um, and I was lucky enough to study in Cuba when I was seven with a flute teacher, right when I had started playing flute. We'd lived there for six months. My mom was doing research there and, and took the whole family. Um, she had been bringing students there for like 20 years. So when I got back, back to the Bay, I was just, I had the bug. And I had it before I left. I have an older brother who played and he started really young. I followed. And since our parents didn't play music, the thing was they brought us to so many concerts like we practically grew up in this cultural center um, in Berkeley called La Pena Cultural Center and when I say grew up in there like my dad had me on his shoulders like on a Tuesday night at 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. and then I would just fall asleep and he'd be holding me. We began to be musically raised by all these incredible musicians in the Bay Area. John Santos, um, Gigi Taylor, Howard Wiley, so so many people. When they saw that my brother and I had that musical bug, they really like brought us into the community. I wouldn't be where I am without that at all. Elena's brother, Samora Penderhughes, is a vocalist and pianist who's known for infusing his compositions with emotion. Your brother, what was it like having him as a counterpart as you both developed as musicians? I don't even have the words for how incredible growing up with my brother and just having him as a musical collaborator and a big brother is to me. Like, that's my best friend. Like, I love my brother so much. We're super, super close. We're also very different. And we found that out as we got older, which is really cool to be able to share an art form and grow and change and have these different experiences, but always come back to that. But also, since he was my main teacher, when he was teaching me about music, he was also teaching me about story, about respect, about culture, about how music is connected to all these things. So music has never been just notes for us, ever. It was always a connector to the world. It was always a reflection of what was going on around us. I've never played with anyone to this day where it is so, it's like we're twins, we're musical twins. This is you on the flute and him on the piano? Yeah, or me singing and him on the piano or him singing. Like, you know, usually it's it starts with flute and piano and then we'll kind of sing at the same time. Go, we write together. We'll be playing and we'll find something. We'll go somewhere without speaking. And we're like, how did you, how do we find that? And it was just like literally twins. Like we're swimming in a river at the same time, making the same motions, going, going, going. And it's incredible. How did institutions, local institutions play a role in your development as a musician? Oh my gosh. Pen, you know I could talk about this for days. <laughs> I'm so excited about this question. There is a program 
in the Bay Area called the Young Musicians Choral Orchestra, YMCO, formerly called uh, the Young Musicians Program, YMP. And I credit everything to that program. That program exposed me not only to top-notch training in the Bay Area. I mean, I'm talking about we had lessons every week and we also had a seven-week intensive in the summer with some of the best musical training in the country. I'm talking about legends. Like we worked with Patrice Russian and Dugu Chancellor, Stefan Harris, Brandon from Marsalis. Like I'm talking about everybody. Um, the legendary trumpet player from Detroit, Marcus Belgrave, who played with everybody, Ray Charles. Like we had these legends coming to work with us at eight, 10 years old. And they were imparting this wisdom on us. And we also were learning music theory. We were learning how to dress for different orchestra concerts, how to do different things like presentation and how you can walk into a room and make sure you get that job and all these different things. I mean, I learned everything from that program. Some of my sisters and my best friends are from that program who also were there from like eight to 18. I spent 10 years in the program. I teach for them now because I care so much about that program. I have wonderful young women that I teach there. Um, other programs I was a part of that were wonderful as well. San Francisco Jazz All-Stars. You were also a part of uh, Berkeley High's jazz program as well, right? I was, I was, I was. There was a man named Mr. Hamilton who was there for years. He taught the program for years and years and years. He's a legend. And he was about to, uh, he was about to retire. And my brother was there. It was his senior year because we're four years apart. And I used to come up there all the time. And Mr. Hamilton let me join a year early when I was in eighth grade to start so that I could get his last year of the program. Um, so I used to get out of school at King and then I would walk over to Berkeley High for seventh period. So that was really amazing. Straight community support through and through. You're joining us from LA right now. You're back and forth between the Bay. What, what are you doing in LA right now? I'm working on a film scoring internship with an incredible a film scoring team, a woman named Laura Cartman and Nora Carl Rosenbaum um, at Art Farm West, and they are amazing. It's an all-female film scoring studio, and Laura's taken me under her wing and, and started training me, which has been incredible. When you listen to a film on silent and then you hear different cues and you hear how things manipulate the way that we feel when we're watching a film, it's incredible to see how much music really makes a difference. And it's been amazing. What do you define as jazz? I don't know if I have a short answer to that, but I think I think there's a couple parts of it that are really important. It's creativity, it's freedom, it's legacy, it's music that stems from the Black experience, and I think it's really um, a Black cultural expression that stretches and changes with people's experiences but is rooted in different things like call and response and different harmonic traditions that we're all familiar with but have you know been stretched and changed as the times and different generations have have come through and i think at the as, at its core i think it's communication because when you're playing jazz the biggest thing is you're listening to everybody around you you're reacting you're you're communicating You have so many different experiences under your belt. And you've also played with huge names. There's a video that's floating around of you and Herbie. Tra is it the term trading eights? Oh, yeah. Trading fours, trading eights. Yeah. yeah. How did that come about? 
I actually met Herbie for the first time at SF Jazz. Shout out SF Jazz because I was in their youth stuff. My first time playing with Herbie, they had me sit in. It was him, Esperanza Spaulding, and Josh Redman. Me. <laughs> what am I doing here? And uh, <laughs> then he um, he kind of kept tabs on me through the years. Like he would see, we would see each other at different festivals. Then he ended up calling me to be a part of his uh, album that it's going to come out later. And then after after doing some recording sessions with him, he asked me to start playing with them live. Uh, not only is he a legend, but he's also, I mean, I don't think there's a word for that. He's like the greatest musician, one of the greatest musicians in the world. <laughs> and even now at in his 80s, he's he's killing us on stage. Like he's just, every time, new ideas pouring out from him. And I learned so much every single time. I learned so much from him. He really encourages creativity and he encourages us to move the music forward in any way that we hear. And hearing that from a legend like him who has had so many different musical eras and moments that he has moved through. He pioneered a sound with his, the guitar and the electric stuff that was new. You know, it, was, it wasn't what people were expecting. And, you know, he even says on stage sometimes, like, ooh, this one didn't go over so well. To hear that from him and for him to encourage us to do that, it just encourages, I think, bravery, you know, and to, and to go with your musical gut. And in that instance, that, that video that I saw, you're like, you're front and center. You're not just playing with them as part of a big band. You're front and center trading notes and the audience is cheering you on as you match his cadence. Like, how do you shake the nerves when you're doing something like that with someone of that magnitude? You know, when I first joined them, I, I was nervous because obviously it's Herbie. And, but, you know, that, that went away immediately. And I remember, you know, making some things that I would call mistakes and then hearing him move through, move it to make it so it sounded perfect. And so what I thought was a mistake became a part of that musical moment. And then the nerves go away. With him especially, that word conversation comes into play. I think I don't even really have time for nerves in that band because if I'm thinking about nerves, I'm not really in the moment of what's happening. This fall, Elena is set to play the legendary Monterey Jazz Festival. After spending some time away from the region, she's looking forward to being back in Northern California. I'm so excited to play so close to home. When you look up and like your communities in the audience, it's different, you know? And I have some of my mentors that taught me playing on the same stages, like right around the corner or right after me. I played with Common there, I played with Herbie there, I played with Christian Scott there. So I've been there multiple times and just now I get to come back with my own group. And actually it's crazy because a friend of mine, James Francis, who's also playing this year, was talking to me about the same thing. He was like, yo, we played there with a bunch of people and now we're, we're going with our own groups, which, you know, it's just the evolution. What makes the jazz scene in the Bay Area unique? I think for me, community. I, I wouldn't be who I am without that community, that mentorship, that love. The Bay Area just has this incredible group of people, musicians that lead with love. Everybody is a mentor. Like you'd never find in the Bay Area that people aren't willing to teach you. And I think that's unique. No one's gonna turn you away for asking questions. They're gonna be like, oh, let me let me bring you to this thing or let me show you where you can get this giant community of people that are just 
so loving, so special, and that comes out in the music. And the other thing I would say about it is I think everybody is exposed to a little something. Nobody just plays one thing, you know? Even if you're, you're a jazz musician, like you also play these other things, you know, you're also like, you're into hip hop and you're like sampling things and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I think, you know, that freedom to explore is so important too. Where I grew up, you could do anything and everybody was doing everything. Like you might catch Kev Choice playing with a symphony on Monday and playing at a studio on Tuesday and on Wednesday, he's teaching at OSA and on Thursday, he's playing, he's like, you know, doing a whole nother thing. So it's like, when you see that people can play everything, there's, it's limitless. And I think growing up in that limitless world made me feel like I can do anything. And I think that's what's so special about it. A true Bay Area product was taken on the world. Elena, you're a star. Thanks for sharing some of your light with us. Salute to all of your accomplishments. I'm looking forward to all that Elena Pender Hughes has coming, the live shows and the behind the scenes work in Hollywood. And Elena tells me that she's working on her own album, one that blends genres. It's jazz, it's R&B, it's soul, it's black music. A melodic conversation drawn from our lived experiences. Yeah. If you're interested in following Elena's work, she's on IG at I am Elena. Elena is spelled E-L-E-N-A. Or search her name on any music platform and you'll find her playing with some of the greatest musicians of our time. Right Nowish is produced by Marisol Medina Cadena. Chris Hambrick is the editor. Our engineer is Christopher Beale. Cesar Saldana and Rice Stottenborough are the engagement specialists. KQED execs are Jen Shin, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Thank you all for listening. Oh, today is my birthday. All that I ask is that you go out, listen to some music, and enjoy the conversation. Yeah. Peace. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.